Before we get started, I want to thank Anthropology for supporting our podcast. Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. I can't walk through my charming Brooklyn neighborhood on a Saturday, or literally any day for that matter, without encountering the work of today's guests. She's the creator of The Nap Dress, a romantic, easy-to-wear nightgown-ish that makes you feel pretty, put together, but most of all, comfortable. Real talk, I counted the nap dresses in my closet this morning, and I have 11. Since starting the brand in 2016, it's exploded into a floral-filled wonder world of bedding, robes, shoes, jewelry, and more. And buying a nap dress on a launch day is practically an Olympic sport. I've been there. I'm so thrilled to be talking to Nell Diamond, the founder of Hill House Home on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. Hi, Nell. Hi, I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy you have 11. That's amazing. 11. No one should have 11. I was joking this weekend that I have a slight addiction to them, and I won't be stopping anytime soon. Well, I'll make you feel better because our average collector, which is what we call nap dress fans, has, I think it is 11. It's either 11 or 12. So you're in good oh, company. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So every episode that we do, we start with you introducing yourself with this sentence. Hi, I'm Nell Diamond, and I'm a rebel blank. Hi, I'm Nell Diamond, and I'm a rebel napper. Do you really nap a lot? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm like the biggest sleeper. Nothing I love more than sleeping. Looking at your career, I find you rebellious. It's why you're on this podcast. But do you think you're a rebel? I think I'm like the opposite of a rebel. One of my best friends always calls me like Tracy Flick from election. I'm like holding up my uh -huh. hand in class. I'm what we call like a proud loser, I guess. <laughs> I've never been very rebellious. Well, do you think like when you were a kid, did you feel like you were part of a cool crowd at all? First of all, I think in my old age, I've figured out that I think almost everyone at some point in their life feels like an outsider, which is a very comforting thing to discover, right? Like even that person who was like the iconic cool girl in the cafeteria, like felt like an outsider in her own ways. I certainly was not the cool girl in the cafeteria. I moved around a lot, moved schools a lot. I was born in London. I spent some years in Japan, moved back to London and graduated high school there. And while I was growing up, in the UK, I moved between a couple different British schools and then finally went to an international high school called the American School. So I definitely always felt like I was kind of in between, like I wasn't quite American, I wasn't quite British, I was somewhere kind of lost in, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. How did you express yourself through design as a kid? Like, were you always decorating your room in a fun way? Or were you like dressing in a certain way that felt like different than everyone else? Yeah, for sure. I think I expressed all the parts of my personality that felt a little weird, felt better when I expressed myself through clothing and the things I surrounded myself with. My bedroom was like incredibly important to me. And then so was my clothing. I think my whole life, 
I've like walked into a room and people have been like, huh, that's what she chose. Like, okay. And I'm like, well, it makes, makes me feel good. So that's all that matters. To me, that does seem rebellious. It seems like you're going against the grain, like you're staying true to what you like and you kind of don't care what other people think. Or do you care what other people think? I certainly deeply care what other people think. It's something I work mm-hmm. on very hard <laughs> in therapy to try and divorce myself from that worrying what other people think. So I think that's like, a it's going to be a lifelong thing, kind of trying to not care what people think about me. And clothing is probably one of the earliest ways that I I did that successfully, clothing and design. Yeah, well, I want to hear a little bit about your education, too, because I know you went to school not for design and not for anything aesthetic. How did your education influence what you're doing now? And do you think people are surprised to see where you've ended up? So I went to Princeton undergrad and I studied English literature, but at the same time, all my internships were in finance. So, you know, I worked in finance right after college. I worked on a trading desk. And then while I was on the trading desk, like I was in a two-year analyst program, I applied to business school and I went to the Yale School of Management and I knew that they had a really great entrepreneurship program. And it was almost like I was convincing myself, okay, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I want to do it in a really structured way <laughs> because I'm typically not a super big risk taker, and it, uh-huh. but I could not get this idea of building this brand from scratch out of my head. Like it was all I thought about. And so it was almost like a bargain with myself. If I'm going to do it, I'd really like to go to business school, make sure I know how to do accounting, how to write a profit and loss mm-hmm. statement, how to like incorporate a business and do it in the structure of an entrepreneurial program. And I'm so glad I did that because it really gave me a solid foundation that I needed for certainly the first couple of years of the business and that I'm benefiting from now. One of the reasons I chose to go to Princeton was because they have a senior thesis. So it's like a year-long process where you figure out a topic and then you have a thesis advisor and you do independent research on this topic and it was like one of the pivotal projects of my life. I think was writing this senior thesis and it was very creative. It was about female hair. (laughs) I have very long hair, and it was basically tracing kind of depictions of female hair in the cultural imagination, all the way from, you know, the Bible and the Old Testament and the Talmud, all the way up to like modern Disney, and with a real focus on the Victorians and Pre-Raphaelites and how they talked about like women basically with long hair. This sounds fascinating. But I actually think that like knowing that about you and seeing what the brand is now, like it does kind of make sense. Like there is some type of like, literary quality to the pieces that you make. Yeah, no, I think it's been nice. Like I'm definitely like in the throes of the kind of four or five years when everybody's getting married and I've been going to a lot of weddings recently. (laughs) And so I'm seeing people that knew me when I was like early teens and it's been so gratifying to hear people be like, you're doing what I always thought you would be doing. And I think I just didn't realize that, you know, I was like pushing against the grain a little bit and like thinking like, no, I want to be in this really quantitative field. I want to be in finance. I don't want to go into this creative side. And what I didn't realize, I think, was how design and particularly the type of business that we're building right now can so perfectly combine the quantitative and the creative sides of my brain in a way that makes me feel so full. It just really is amazing. I had no idea this career existed, and I'm glad I had the patience to stick it out to find this. (laughs) I personally am glad that you don't work at a bank anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I really am too. It's hard to picture that. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to picture when it happened. I would like walk down the trading floor and people were like, it's just too much color, girl. Like you got to tone it down. Certainly like I wouldn't say the blue winged eyeliner was like the right choice for that environment. That's funny. I read on your Instagram when you were launching shoes 
that story about being in high school and wearing these pink patent shoes while you were giving a speech and a mom had said something to your mom of like, how could you let her wear that? And it's like she wasn't even listening to what you were saying. She was just so focused on her like outrage over these shoes. And I think that seems to also like speak to your rebellious nature. Like you were like, I like this. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I think that's definitely been the foundation of like who I am as an adult. It's my mom and my dad were both really wonderful at helping me to believe that I could be two things at once, right? I could be this like incredibly outwardly feminine girly girl with the pink shoes and the bow in my hair and the glitter on my eyelids. But I could also be really serious sometimes and really quantitative. And then other times I could be like lazy and funny and I didn't have to choose. And I think that that was really a gift that they gave me. And that's something that I've tried to work towards. Like, look, I love wearing hair bows and accessories and all of these frilly things, but that doesn't define me. That's just what I'm wearing. I get to define me. And I think that's been a really powerful thing, especially as, you know, I've always been a feminist, but I think especially as I've grown up and I've gotten older and I've figured out that true feminism is figuring out what part of the gender spectrum you want to perform and choosing for yourself, right? You can be a feminist at any end of the gender spectrum, and mine happens to be very performatively archetypally feminine. Yeah, that's funny. I just had encountered that term, performative femininity, last night. I saw it on someone's Instagram. And when I think of of your brand, I think about where we are in the world right now. Like, Women are pretty angry, and they have lots of reasons to be angry about the state of the world and what's going on in the U.S., And then I think about how at the same time, we're all like so drawn to wearing these like dresses with ruffles. I don't know. It's just like there's so many ways in which being a woman sucks right now. And we would want to maybe just like abandon it all and burn it all down. But like I still want to wear a nap dress and a bow in my hair and like be really feminine and pretty. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's about this idea that aesthetic preferences are very personal and design that makes you happy is such an incredible, amazing thing. And it's also almost like a lifelong journey, right? Like the people I know that have the most amazing tastes are people who've really curated that taste and they figured out like, this makes me feel good. I love the way this looks. And I also think it requires a certain amount of experimentation and nothing is off limits. And For me, the Colfax and Fowler, like old school British Victorian botanicals are like the height of joy for me. Make me so happy. I love pastels. I love embellishments, sparkles, glitter, all that stuff. And then separately, how I act is another thing. Those two things don't commingle, right? And I think that for me, it's been really fun and in many ways subversive to just let my actions speak for themselves and let my design preferences and my design aesthetic speak for itself. And if somebody else is surprised that those two things fit together, you know, that says a lot more about them and their life than it says about mine. It's an interesting thing to kind of delve into because I certainly, if I meet somebody for the first time and they don't know me because of the way I dress, because of the way I present myself and all the flowers and everything, People can project a lot of their perceptions of what a flowery, girly girl is onto me. But what joy that I get to show them in every action I take who I actually am. So I don't know. I love playing with people like that. It's really fun. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. I love 
being a little underestimated. I love people looking at me and thinking that I can't and showing them that I can. So it's the best. Watch me. Do you have a store in your life that whenever you walk through its doors, you become transported, inspired, and overwhelmed with pure joy? For me, that place is anthropology. Since college, I've bought candles, pillows, and dinnerware, literally you name it, from their cool, hyper-curated mix, and those are the pieces I've cherished for years. Nowadays, when I look at my vintage sofa and see the pink, lavender, and mustard-colored fuzzy anthro pillow on top of it, I feel the same giddy feeling I did when I first found it at Anthropology's Chelsea Market store. That's the amazing thing about Anthropology: It's nostalgic and forward-looking all at once. And as the holiday season approaches, I can't wait to wow my guests with only at anthro pieces for hosting, celebrating, and entertaining. I'm clearly not alone. Anthro has hundreds of stores, millions of social followers, and a website that has new arrivals literally every day. Get inspired and start shopping at anthropology.com. The nap dress has taken off, but I think some people might not even realize that Hill House Home started with bedding and with towels and home items. So I want to know why that was like the first thing that you wanted to do or why that was the initial direction. Yeah, so it really rooted around this idea of the bedroom as like the jewel box of the home. And so I mentioned I was thinking a lot about this business in my two-year analyst program right out of college. And I was living in an apartment in Soho with three of my best girlfriends from college. And it was how many would imagine. Four girls. Been there. Post-grad in New York. Lots of parties in the common space. And my room was very much my sanctuary. And it was in college too. And it wasn't, you know, growing up with my brothers. And this was a time in my life where I was thinking, okay, here I am. I have this adult job. I have a 401k. I'm like thinking about health insurance. I'd really like to, you know, curate my own space. And I was kind of coming up short when it came to shopping for my bedroom with a design forward aesthetic. Like I wanted prints, I wanted colors, I wanted monograms, but I wanted them at a great price. And I thought that would be a great place to start with the brand. And like everything I do, I like to start with the hardest thing first, because selling a rectangle of, you know, white cotton on the internet is like (laughs) the hardest thing you could possibly do. (laughs) But it really built the foundation of the brand. It made us really good at communicating our value proposition with words and pictures and painting a storytelling picture of what the brand represented and getting really good at, at communicating with our customers on social media. So I'm so glad we started there because it allowed us to hone our skills and build our foundation. And our betting business has grown significantly over the past couple of years, which is really exciting. It's just not as talked about or showy as perhaps the fashion end. Yeah. I mean, I've written about them and I think they're so smart. They feel so nice oh, and they have you. a zipper yeah, in they the sure duvet. Do. We had a little bit of a sheet maker drama with one of our factories when we wanted to add the zipper because they're these like incredibly (laughs) talented old school artisans and they were just aghast at the zipper and couldn't believe that we were doing zippers instead of buttons. And I had to tell them this is the root of everything we do, right? Like we believe that you can have something that's practical, but also really beautiful at the same time. That's the heart of the nap dress. And we want it to be true about our bedding and everything else too. So I know a button is prettier, but I believed... A zipper is significantly easier and we can make it look pretty. So Yes, you can't even see it. Yeah, you can't even see it. We made it a hidden zipper, really beautiful, inspired by a lot of fashion pieces, tiny, very chic, 
And now our supplier really likes it. So I feel really happy about that. But the zipper was very important to us and it took us a lot of bargaining to make it happen. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it for one. Um, This is probably the most controversial question I'll ask you. Are you team top sheet? I am team top sheet, but only with a coverlet because I find that's the most low maintenance way to make a bed is to basically put your duvet at the end, like do like a duvet sausage is my really attractive name for it. It's rolled, like at the end of the bed rolled. And then I have a top sheet with a coverlet under it. So you know that idea of like, you know, when you go to a hotel, it looks like a hotel bed with a coverlet, but coverlets at hotels are often very dirty because they don't get washed in the machine. So it was very important to me to have a machine washable coverlet. You were talking about the aesthetic and having bedding first help you like define your voice and like what you were going to look like and the branding and all of that. And when I think of Hill House, I think of like Victorian meets like Samantha, the American Girl doll. And I think of like the way that kind of rebels against like what's popular right now. Like the 90s are back. Everyone's doing like low slung jeans. And it seems like your aesthetic is like complete opposite of that. Do you care about trends? Like, were you thinking about we need to make this like for now? I think I care less about trends than I probably used to. I think at this point in my life, I want clothing that I know looks great on me no matter what. And that is really easy to wash, really easy to take care of and can carry me through a million different things all day. And then I think there are ways that you can kind of bring in trends that are happening at any moment in your own way. We certainly get inspired by like color palettes that are on the runway, but we tend to typically be more inspired by things like what's going on in interiors. So like the most recent collection we released was inspired by British interiors. So we have this damask print that's like really beautiful and inspired by some wallpaper. And we tend to think of our clothing as like these staple basics. I mean, the reason the average nap dress collector has like 11 plus is because these are the t-shirt and jeans of your closet, right? So if you want to go trend driven, like go get a crazy pair of shoes or a bag or something like that. But these are your t-shirt and jeans. It's t-shirt and jeans for people who don't wear t-shirt and jeans, basically, which is me. (laughs) I hate pants. So I think that's classic, right? Like these are classic pieces that are the foundation of your closet. Is there someone that you like would die if you saw them wearing a nap dress? Like a celebrity? Zendaya. I would die if Zendaya wore like anything by Hill House. I just think, I mean, I think La Roach is like the most amazing stylist in the world. And so anything that she wears, I just think is incredible. She's probably my number one. I love that. The cool thing about your brand, one of the cool things, is that there's this community. It's like when I walk into a store and I see someone else wearing a nap dress, we like do a little nod. And it's like I was saying, you know, before a launch, people map out what they're going to buy. Like it's a fantasy football league with such precision. They plan this out. And I feel like you've created this language with your customers, too. It's like we call each other besties. It's just like it feels like you're at the most fun slumber party ever. Was that just something that happened or was that all like part of the grand plan? It was not part of the grand plan. I think you can only hope that a community builds like that, but you can never force it. You really can't. Like, I think we are every day like so humbled by how people find each other. And I think the only thing that we did to make sure that happened was create a product that people liked and then occasionally give them reasons to all come together. 
But that is like totally outside of our hands. That was not created by us. It's like this magical thing that I think happens with when brands build something that means something to people. So I feel like I am one of those people. I am like part of Napdress Nation. So it's very, very humbling and exciting. But I don't think it's anything that you can force in any way. And and it's really exciting. It's definitely true. I experienced that at the sample sale. I was lucky enough to go. And when I came out, there were so many people waiting to come in and they were like, what did you get? What did you get? Do they have this? Do they have this? And it was a really, really good experience. I think as a creative, it can be tough to take feedback, but you seem to be very open to hearing from customers. Were you always that way or do you sometimes get a little like, oh, please? It's one of the hardest parts of my job, but I think it's one of those things like a muscle. Like you really have to train yourself to receive feedback. And for me personally, I know it's about not catastrophizing. Like there's a part of me that if I get one piece of negative feedback, I'm like, the world is ending. I'm not going to have a job. Like everything's over. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's going well. And I think that it's a muscle that I personally am working on and that I think you can strengthen. I know for me, every time we take constructive feedback about products, it makes the product better. And we've seen it again and again and again. Also, I think because this community is so nice, we don't really get like mean negative comments all the time. So that certainly helps with the feedback. People tend to be really nice. But I think social media does allow like negative feedback to come pretty cleanly and frequently. And so it's definitely something that I'm I work on personally. Do you think that once the fashion started to take off, once the nap dress took off, and then there was swimwear, and then there was all these other fashion parts, do you feel like you want to like go back to the start, like make more home items? So right before this podcast recording, we were like sitting in our planning meeting and going through some of the different verticals of the business. And as I mentioned, you know, bedding in particular is really strong right now for us. It's not as talked about as I mentioned as fashion, but So I keep thinking how much I want to bring more of our prints into bedding because we have so many cool prints. And and I think people on the outside might not realize this, but, you know, all of our prints are made specifically for us, right? Like we're not getting prints from like a book. You know, these are custom made prints in many cases by artists or they're prints that are archive prints from like the design library that we found and are from like, you know, the 1700s. So prints are such a huge part of what we do. And so I'd love to carry that through in home in a way that feels really productive, right? So I think I personally this year, I want to spend some time with our customers, like figuring out like, where do you want to spend money in the home category? Like, what do you need? Where do you want to see prints the most so that we can be really efficient with that? Because I know I'm personally feeling right now, like I'm looking at a rack right now of our fall stuff. I'm like, oh, I want some, I want that posy print in my house somehow. And I have to figure out like, where is it that I want it? And what would be like the most efficient way to do it? So thinking about a lot of things, textiles, all that good stuff, and what would be the best way to to get them. When I think of Hill House, I think of this world. Like you really have created like a 360 world and you're sitting in an <laughs> office right now that has a pattern on the walls that was on the dress. And I want to talk about the office a little bit because it does feel like when you walk in there, it feels like you're walking into yeah. an app dress, kind of. <laughs> How does that help you do your job, knowing that your office is like completely covered in Hill House patterns? Well, so we worked with a friend of mine, the amazing designer Cece Barfield Thompson on the office. And it was such a cool experience because I had never, she's a friend of mine and we had never worked professionally together before. We basically sent her like a Dropbox file of our archive of all the prints. And she went to town, like she knew our aesthetic and she (laughs) knew, you know, my kind of taste and created this dream world in here. 
And I think for me, it's the same thing as a bedroom, right? Like I think I sleep better and I have a better sense of my own mental health and my capabilities if I feel great and love my bedroom. My office is the same thing. If I am looking around at something that I think brings me joy and beauty and like looks great, I'm going to work better. (laughs) And that's what I told our COO when she saw the budget. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to work better if this looks real pretty. When I look at the office, I, it makes me wonder, is there a place that you go to that you wish Hill House could make over, like that needs a glow up and that needs like the Hill House touch? Like it could be like the subway or a doctor's office or something that's like kind of sad that you would want to make over. Well, I love my morning coffee shop routine. So I would love to have like a Hill House version of a coffee shop with like perfect bagels and perfect iced coffee and iced tea and like really cold fountain diet Coke with like really good ice. <laughs> Is that too specific? Like, ha- <laughs> wow, it sounds like you've never thought uh, of Yeah, ice. you just caught me off guard. <laughs> Wait, like pebble ice, right? Like, well, I uh, thank you for asking. I would like there to be optionality. I would like there to be pebble ice or <laughs> like crushed ice or like traditional freezer ice. I was going to ask you what you do to recharge when you're not being a rebel, but it sounds like you just take a nap. Is that I true? take a nap. I read. I love to read. I go on walks. One of the reasons I love New York so much is because I walk everywhere. Like, I try to never get in a car. <laughs> like, I don't want to ever take a taxi. <laughs> I don't ever want to take an Uber. I only want to walk or take the subway. And obviously, New York is perfect for that. Is there a piece of design advice that you would give to your fellow rebels? I would say... Don't be afraid of changing something if you don't like it. Like, I think we get, like, married to ideas. And I actually, this is funny because I feel this way about books, too. Like, I think people sometimes get so stuck in their decisions. So, like, you start reading a book. It's a book your friend recommended. You saw it in the New York Times. You start reading and you're like, this is dumb. Like, I really don't like this book. And you keep with it because you think you're, like, supposed to and you've already put resources into it. But... I really think that it's such a waste of time that it will change your relationship with reading if you keep reading a book you don't like. Like it's going to make you dread reading and that's the last thing that should come out of something like that. And I feel the same way about design. If you don't like something in your home, every time you walk by it, you're going to have a negative like feeling. You're just going to look at it and be like, I really don't like this and all those complicated feelings and it's such a waste. I think don't be afraid of being wrong, I guess, is the right the right way to say it, because changing your mind and being wrong is a really powerful thing as long as you you realize it. Is there something that people told you not to do in your career, but you did it anyway? Yes. People really told me to dress differently early in my career. So they really did tell me to wear lower heels, like straighten my hair, put my hair out of my face, wear less makeup, like wear more conservative clothing. And unfortunately, I'm just a little bit dramatic and doing that literally felt like having like my head chopped off. And I felt like a less (laughs) true version of myself. And I can't change that. Like I spent a few years like feeling really like weird and shameful and guilty about that because it's, you know, it's just clothes and makeup. Like what does it matter theoretically? But I know how I felt and I felt like an imposter and I felt like not myself. And that's a really, really horrible feeling to get through the day with. So I'm really grateful that I now am in a position where I can wear whatever I want, wear whatever feels good. Yeah. And it's like you were just saying about design, like it's not just paint. It's not just a sofa. Like it really does affect your everyday life. Exactly. And I think the sooner we realize that and like take ownership of that and don't feel shame or guilt about it, like the better our lives will become because there's society puts so much loaded baggage onto 
feminine pursuits like decorating a house or dresses or makeup or any of those things. And so there's a lot of shame and a lot of other people's projections on them that make us think like, it's just wallpaper, I'll live with it. But the truth is, is like your mental health is the most important thing. And if that's making you upset, get it out of there. Yes. Finally, what is your next act of rebellion? What's it going to be? Oh, my next act of rebellion is going to be opening stores. It feels very rebellious right now when everything's like online. Everybody's like leaving retail. I want to go back into retail mostly because we had such an amazing experience in Nantucket this summer being able to be in person with people and create a space that felt really great to our brand. So I'm just excited about going to new spaces, building new retail. So yeah, I think that's my next act of rebellion is brick and mortar. That is awesome. I can't wait. Okay, we're not actually done yet because we have to play Never Have I Ever. I am going to read you the prompt and then you just have to tell me if you've done it or not. Okay. So never have I ever hung my own wallpaper. False. I have. I have hung my own wallpaper. You have? Yeah, I have. How did it go? Pretty horribly. (laughs) It was uneven. It was peel and stick. I had to unpeel it because it was so uneven and then I just left the walls empty. I actually think peel and stick, well, I guess I've never done the other kind, but I think peel and stick is really hard. Never have I ever shopped at Home Goods. False. I love Home Goods. You love Home Goods? Yeah, love. No, it's great. Because all of these American stores also, like, I literally grew up, you know, abroad until college. And so, like, every American store was, like, iconic to me. I thought that they were all, like, amazing. (laughs) That's so amazing. I love that. Okay, never have I ever arranged my books by color. I've never done that. Really? That kind of surprises me, I have to say. (laughs) Are you opposed? Are you, like... I'm not opposed, but because I'm such a reader, I really <laughs> I feel like do them by like mood or shape, shape a lot. Oh, Because okay. I do a lot of book stacks. Yeah. So I'll have like the, either I have them in piles of when I've read them basically. So there will be like a couple months of reading in one pile and they'll be from biggest to smallest and then genres. So yeah, less color, more genre and shape. I love that. Never have I ever cried while building Ikea furniture. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've even cried while building like container store stuff, which is like objectively easy. Right. <laughs> it's <just> not, <laughs> not hard at all. It's literally like you just put a drawer in a, another plastic thing. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, never have I ever bought a piece of decor or a pillow with a phrase on it. Okay, so I didn't know this was controversial because I definitely have done this. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, as long as it's not like live, laugh, love. I do phrases of my own because we monogram pillows. And so we have our mini pillowcases or like we're one of our most popular items for like two years. They're like boudoir sham. And I would always monogram either a location or a zip code or like a special phrase that's important to a couple or something like that on those pillows. Well, that's all I have. But thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So fun and and so great to chat. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. 
Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I am not a voiceover actor yet, at least. But I am the vice president of technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time: The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fatmo and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay De Simone, and Maria Luna. Our chief content officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein, and I'm Shadi Al Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time: The Rebellious Ones.